It has been a deep privilege for me to journey with you through this holiest week of the Christian year. I'm grateful to Jeffrey and to all the fine staff at All Saints for your hospitality and to all of you who have taken time from your busy lives to come and participate in meaningful services of worship as we have done so together this week. Today is my final day with you, and I pray that today, in this experience of worship, you will know at a deeper level than when you came the reality of the love of God, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Today's reading from John's Gospel takes us to the final meal that Jesus shares with his disciples before his arrest. As the passage begins, the narrator assures us that Jesus knows that it is more than time for supper. The hour has come for him to depart from this world and go to the Father. As subsequent events unfold, the arrest, the trial, the turncoat crowd crying, away with him, the crucifixion, the death, it will seem as if the Roman officials, the the religious leaders are in charge wrong. Everything that will take place does so because it is a part of God's plan of redemption from the beginning. The plan had been in place. Remember how John the Baptist had said when he saw Jesus coming toward him, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Now is the hour in which Jesus will fulfill that role for which he came. The time is just prior to Passover. Passover where the Lamb will be slain in the temple in remembrance of God's delivery of the Hebrew people from slavery in Egypt. You remember the story, how the blood of an unblemished lamb was to be put on the doorpost and the lentils of the houses of every Hebrew so that they would be spared the plague of the death of the firstborn child that was to be visited upon the Egyptians. The Hebrews were spared. They were liberated, released from bondage. Never had God performed a bolder or a mighty act, a mightier act. Never before had God shown such identity with those who suffer and are enslaved and oppressed. And now, once again, it is time for God's power to be revealed. This time in a radically different way, not through the curse of a plague or the defeat of the enemy's army. This time, the power will be released through divine sacrifice before force answered force. Now, vulnerable, self-giving love, its power, is all that will be in operation. We see how it will unfold through the action of Jesus this last night. He, of his own free will, 
takes upon himself the task of washing the feet of the disciples. This is a private dinner given by Jesus, no, no servants around. It was the custom to wash the dusty feet of one's guests. He could have asked one of the others to do it. He could have skipped it altogether, but instead he washes their feet. He, he gets up from the table, literally arises. It's the same Greek word that will be used in the Gospels to describe Jesus' resurrection. He arose from the table and took a bowl and a towel and knelt before each of his friends in loving service. The 17th century Irish Bishop Jeremy Taylor wrote, Jesus chose to wash their feet that he might have the opportunity to reveal a humble posture. Thus God lays everything aside that he might serve his servants. Heaven stoops to earth and the miseries of humanity which are next to infinite are excelled by a mercy equal to the immensity of God. Though Jesus was in the form of God, in Jesus, God took on the form of a servant. God is not too proud. God is not high and mighty. It will be the same when God stoops down, all the way down, as his only son dies on the cross. And why did he have to die? To cleanse us from our transgressions, to offer salvation to the world. All along the way to Jerusalem and these dramatic events, Jesus had tried to explain to his disciples the meaning of true greatness, that it had nothing to do with fame or status or wealth or place. If you want to become great, he had said over and over, you must become a servant of all. I hope you Episcopalians who are here today remember the late, great Bishop Bennett Sims, one of my spiritual heroes, in his book simply entitled Servanthood. He wrote, this is the paradox of greatness. Greatness comes in self-giving service. Jesus said that because it's true. It is true for all people in every setting and in all relationships. Jesus said it because it was true. It's very difficult to wrap our minds around such an idea. Peter, speaking for certainly himself and most of the disciples and perhaps for all of us, no, no, sir, my feet are just fine. I will not have you wash my feet. This was the same Peter who all along had rejected the idea that Jesus would have to suffer and die. He wanted a conquering hero, and what he got, what he got was Jesus kneeling at his feet. Have you heard anyone use the word humility lately? H have you seen humility in the traditional sense of the word in, in action lately? 
I, I look for it, and I, I see it very seldom. I was sobered by an article I read earlier this week by Christian ethicist Gary Dorian about how in the United States of America, the dominant American dream is what? The dream is to become a star. That individualistic pursuit of success is defined by fame or fortune or control over others. That is now the American story that has gained ascendancy, that has replaced the old-fashioned idea of humility and serving others and worrying about how someone other than you and your kin are doing, making sure the lost and the left out are not forgotten. Remember biblical religion and how, throughout the Hebrew scriptures, the moral test of the quality of a society was how it treated the vulnerable, the widows, the orphans, the aliens in the midst of the society. Is there not some message for us here in this odd, strange foot-washing scene that perhaps we have turned the pyramid of power upside down so that many are suffering and few have a lot? I volunteer at a food pantry at a church on in the Virginia Highland area. The pantry's open on one Saturday, every Saturday morning, one day a week. We have had more than 1,000 people come to our food pantry in the last six months, many families with children, many elderly people who regularly choose between purchasing the medicine they need for the week or buying groceries for a meal. We cannot forget that God stoops to conquer. We cannot forget our call to open ourselves and to be vulnerable for the sake of those who are the most vulnerable. Gordon Cosby, founder of the wonderful Church of Our Savior in Washington, D.C., writes, It is quite obvious in the scriptures that Jesus chooses the descending way. He deliberately chooses it over and over, opting to spend time with those who are marginalized, opting for that which is small and hidden, making it plain that God shows love for the world by descending more and more into the human condition. It is hard to understand this matter of humility. Jesus knew how hard it would be after he had sat down and after washing the disciples' feet, he says, do you, do you know what's just happened? And then he goes on to say, you call me your Lord and your teacher and you're right. So I am your Lord, I am your teacher. If I wash your feet, you ought to wash one another's. Uh, Follow my example, he said. And then he began to speak of glory right after the most inglorious action you can imagine. I mean, 
I don't know about your feet, but as the years go by, mine get increasingly less attractive. I I won't go into detail here. (laughs) Some years ago, I pastored a church and was one of the pastors at a church in downtown Atlanta. And every Tuesday night, we had a foot clinic for our shelter guests. And some of our volunteers, our hosts, signed up to participate in the foot clinic for our homeless guests. Not many volunteers. Many hated the idea. But a few would greet the guests in the room off the gym where the foot washing and massaging would take place. It was sort of like Jesus' version, I guess, of a nail salon, if you have to think about it. And it was a simple thing. The guest would sit in the chair. The host would remove the shoes and the socks of the guest in front of him or her. What was revealed almost always were feet in terrible shape. I mean, if you walk on the city streets all day in shoes you probably picked up at a clothes closet, someone else's shoes, your feet are going to suffer. Then when the feet were bare, the host would place the guest's feet in a bowl of warm, soapy water. I remembered that the soap of choice was always ivory liquid. Don't ask me why. And after the feet had been soaked a bit, the host would take a towel and dry them and then scour the calluses and do whatever else needed to be done. Then the end of the process was a gentle massage with Again, believe it or not, Vicks Vapor Rub. Don't ask me why. When that time came, when that time came, the host was always careful not to look up, but to keep his eyes on what he was doing, because almost always a tear would be falling down the cheek of the guest a tear or two or three. It had been such a long time since anyone had touched them with tenderness. For I have set before you an example, Jesus said, that you should do what I have done to you. No, foot washing never made it as a sacrament. I'm not suggesting that it should have. But I am telling you this, foot washing, this scene with Jesus kneeling at the feet of his disciples is the best sermon he ever preached to the world on how to love. One less pious commentator has said that if it had ever been made a sacrament, the property committee would have had a fit, pans of water on the carpet in the chancel, Theologians would have debated endlessly about whether to sprinkle the feet or immerse them. You know, all that kind of stuff. But the message is clear. We are to love one another. This is the new commandment. As Christ has loved us. Maundy Thursday. 
mandatum novum, derived from Jesus' words, this is the new commandment. So an old story. You remember the story of Solomon and the two mothers. They had given birth to sons at about the same time. Sadly, one of the babies died during the night. One woman accused the other woman of stealing her living child. One says, it's my son that's alive, your son who died. The other says, no, no, your son is dead and mine is alive. The matter comes before the king. He orders that a sword be brought. He says to his servant, cut the living child in half and we'll give half to one mother and half to the other. And of course, you know that the, re- the mother of the child who is alive cries out, don't kill him. The other said, go ahead, divide the baby. The mother's identity was revealed simply by this. It was revealed by her love. You remember that hymn we used to sing? They'll know we are Christians by our love, by our love. They'll know we are Christians by our love. That's it. Let love be the lens through which you look at life, set the priorities of your life, remembering that Jesus reveals a way of life not simply a way to be religious. Let, let me close. This is the last story of the day that I will tell, the last story of the week. I read of a husband and wife who could have no children on their own, so they decided to adopt a baby. And for reasons too complicated to go into, they ended up adopting a baby born to a mother who was in prison serving time for grand theft. The baby weighed only three pounds when they took him home and named him Gary. And it turned out that for the next year, the baby was literally too weak even to cry. He had a hard time growing up with mental disabilities, physical ones as well. His father, a distinguished professor of church history, writes, Our son Gary has been a blessing to our family for the last 30 years. He's become too heavy now that he's a man for St. Mary, my wife, to lift him. So now it is my daily task to give Gary his bath. I would be lying if I said to you that I always enjoy the task, but when I'm feeling hard done to, I hear the Lord saying to me with gentle reproach, okay, professor, what more important thing do you have to do today than washing this beloved child of yours and mine? When I get to heaven, the professor says, The Lord will ask me whether I have tried to serve him. And I will answer. I'll not refer to the lectures that I have given. 
the books I have written, the outstanding students I have taught. I'll simply pick up a towel, hold it out, and point with love to my son, Gary. Whatever important things you have to do today, don't forget the importance of love. Don't just feel it. Do it to the glory of God with the strength of Christ. Let us pray. Help us to set aside our own importance, most merciful God, and to live lives to your glory, not to our own, to your glory. Amen.